Today I believe following Jesus Christ, Christianity, true Christianity, I believe following Jesus Christ today has become a misapplied, misunderstood, misdirected endeavor. I believe today what is promoted as Christianity, as following Jesus, sadly is a far cry from biblical, truth-based, spirit-led Christianity. I truly do. Today I believe biblical, truth-based discipleship where we walk with Jesus Christ, where we abide in Jesus Christ, where we serve the cause of Christ, and all of that is for the glory of Christ. I believe that has been replaced with a distorted, weak, powerless view, idea of Christianity. I believe today what is promoted as Christianity is really some experiential, me-focused form of sensationalism. And I'm I'm looking around today and I see what is called Christianity today. Instead of being drawn to the biblical Jesus and to biblical discipleship, the following of Jesus, today it seems that people are seeking some sort of religious high. And I think that's being taught as Christianity today, that it's, it's some great experience that's somehow attributed to Jesus. And we, we seek a bigger high and a newer high. And we want to point that some way to, that, that Jesus did that. And that's what is being promoted today as Christianity. I watch, and maybe you do as well, but I watch today and I listen, and it's all about the experience. And really it's all about a greater and a bigger experience. And people talk about a greater presence or a greater event with Jesus, if that's even possible. And you, you watch today and it's all about the new song that evokes some great emotion in us. It's about the newest emotional rally that we paid $99 to go to to have some emotional experience. It's about some new religious concept that's, that's always being introduced and it's all about the religious experience. It's all about our emotions. It's all about this high that we have through this religious experience. I look around today, and I think the drive to find or to hear some new word from God, and that's where all these false teachers are coming from today. I think this new drive to hear a new word from God. I think it comes from this same seeking of an emotional experience because we're no longer impressed with the old word from God and so we have to go speak, seek a new word from God. And it's all experience driven. And I must tell you this morning, it has no lasting real power. Sadly today, people that are labeled as Christians have become just like the person that's addicted to drugs and they go and they search the next bigger high, the next bigger feeling, the next more emotionally charged event and then we call that somehow Christianity. Friend, I know the problem. Friend, I believe I can tell you this morning what the problem is. Listen to me. Here is what I believe the problem and what is being labeled as Christianity today is this. I believe the problem is this. Listen to me very carefully. I believe we are no longer impressed. We no longer are astounded. We are no longer absolutely awestruck at the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
More than that, our own salvation no longer impresses us. How sad. God, forgive us. Our, our own salvation no longer impresses us. And so I have to go seek a new emotional experience, some greater high than even my salvation. God, forgive us. Today we come to an odd set of verses. And I believe we're going to see this played out in these verses. Today in these odd, this odd set of verses, I believe we're going to see how great our salvation. Today our verses are found in Luke chapter 17. Today verses 11 through 19. Luke chapter 17. Today verses 11 through 19. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stay with me in the reverence and the honor of the reading of God's word. Bible says, starting here in verse 11, while he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today. We come into your presence. We come today. We, we come and we open up your word, the living word, the truth. And I pray our heart's response in that would be that we would worship you, that we would exalt you today. And I, I come and on this day, I pray as we especially look at these verses today that, that we would see Jesus as revealed through your word today, that we would draw closer to Jesus today, that we would have impressed upon us again anew the cost of, of the sacrifice, the cost of our salvation. And I pray that, that you would let us hear today with spiritual ears, that you would let us see with spiritual eyes. And I pray that we would see how great your love is, how tremendous your mercy is. I pray that in response to, to catching a glimpse at you and of, of our salvation, that we would rise up and we would leave out of here and we would carry forth the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, speak to us today. Convict us today. Teach us, train us today. Most of all, use us and empower us for a greater day. Help us for your glory. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> Whenever I handle God's word, whenever I'm studying God's word, and, and for sure when I come to preach God's word, I am always, and without fail, I am always astounded by, I'm blown away by the depth 
and the richness of God's word. I'm blown away by the complexity of God's word and really the grace that we have it and the grace that he shows us through it. And as I handle his word and as I study and as I consider it, it is always staggering. It is always tremendous. God said this to me. God has said this to us. And it is an awesome thing to handle God's word. Well, I want to tell you this. Today may take the cake. As we study today, as we look at these verses that we just read today, there are at least three storylines, and I'm going to say at least three storylines that are traveling together and that are going to merge for a glorious result. And really when I look at these verses and try to think of each of these verses, it's really more than a man could ever put together. It's really more that we could assemble and take in in one sitting, I believe. So I've been praying and I'm asking God, God, let us see what you're saying today. Let us see this picture today. Let us see with spiritual eyes. Let us hear with spiritual ears today. God, let us see what you're saying this morning. You see, the same God that spoke these words through the Holy Spirit of God is in us and he's in us to illuminate. And so my prayer is that God would let us hear today with spiritual ears. Now I want to ask if you would take a breath today that you'd buckle your seatbelt as we begin looking at these verses. Looking at verse 11. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. Now how many times have you heard that in a Sunday school class? How many times have you read over that verse? And while he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. Okay, the first thing we'll see here is the obvious thing. Jesus is traveling. The Bible says he is traveling from Galilee, his home base, his home region, and he's headed to the city of Jerusalem. He is headed to the nation's capital. He's headed to Jerusalem. The Bible tells us he is in the region of Galilee going past or going by Samaria on the way to Jerusalem. Now, Understand this, most likely he wouldn't have gone directly through Samaria. He wouldn't have gone through the middle of Samaria. But rather he is most likely going south and he's traveling along the edge of the Jordan River. At one point he would come to the border as he heads south between Galilee, his home region, and Samaria, again heading south towards Jerusalem. In chapter 19, we read that the route that he takes crosses back over the Jordan and goes through Jericho. And so understand, this was a common route for those in Galilee to make their way to Jerusalem. Now let me point out this, you may know this, but let me bring it back to mind. Samaria, the nation, the area there of Samaria is made up of people that the Jews despised. Despise. So here they are in Galilee, he's making his way through this region of Samaria. Now these were a people of Jewish background who had intermarried with these native Sumerians. And so they had, they had made a race that the Jews considered a compromised race. They considered them a sellout race. They really considered them a disgraced race. Now the best word, and you can go and look all the way through the, the gospel accounts, the best word that I can find to describe how the Jews see these Sumerians is the word repulsed. They found them repulsive. 
a heavy word, a strong word. They were, they were repulsed by these people. It turned their stomach to see these people. They were, they were such a disgrace. They were repulsed at the sight of these people. <coughs> so the Bible says, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. And he's passing between Samaria and Galilee. Now that's the obvious picture. Here's the deeper picture. Listen today, hear with spiritual ears. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, God's anointed Savior for mankind, Jesus, the only hope that a sinner ever has, Jesus, the one who at his birth the angels say, Behold, good news of great joy. Today there has been born for you in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Jesus, on his first trip to Jerusalem some 33 years earlier, they offered two turtle doves in sacrifice. And Simeon there in the temple holds the baby king and he declares a light unto the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Luke chapter 2, verse 32. Jesus, on another trip 12 years later, he sat in the temple. And the Bible says he explained the scriptures. Of course he did. They were his scriptures. It was his word, the word of God. And so he says, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Luke chapter 2, verse 49. Jesus, who on another crossing of the Jordan, as he steps down there into the river valley of the Jordan River, John the Baptist says, Behold, take a look, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. John chapter 1, verse 29. Jesus, that Jesus, our Jesus, Jesus is making his way for the final time to Jerusalem. Be sure and see it today as we read. Don't miss this today. On this day, he's not just traveling to be traveling, but rather the sacrificial lamb of God is making his own way to the altar of his sacrifice. Jesus, our Savior, is walking the path that will lead to our salvation. Jesus, the creator, treads a trail of dust that's gonna lead him all the way to Golgotha and the cross of Calvary. And so understand today, it is no little thing and it is to no little effect that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem. God, let us hear with spiritual ears. The lamb walks to his altar. Our lamb, Jesus, makes his way to Jerusalem. Verse 12. As he entered a village, 10 leprous men who stood at a distance met him. <clears throat> now the obvious thing here at this point, he has now traveled south far enough. He's close to the border between Galilee, his region, and Samaria. As he approaches this border, they approach, the Bible says, a town. As he draws close to the town, it says that 10 leprous men stood at a distance and met him. Now the word here for stood actually in the Greek means they rose up, they stood, they rose up, and there at a distance they met him. 
Leprosy was an incurable disease. It was a disease of the nervous system that shows up on or in the skin. A person with leprosy was covered in sores. They were covered in scabs. Their skin would become dry and it would crack and it would break open and then those, those wounds would begin to ooze and other infections would settle into those sores and they were covered in white, dry flakes and, and these people with this ailment, this disease, their smaller digits, their smaller fingers, the tips of their fingers, the tips of their toes, the tips of their ears would rot to the point that they would eventually fall off. Their larger appendages would become disfigured and they would become deformed. The tissues of their nose would, would rot out and their nose would collapse and then it would begin to swell up and this person would be there and they would be deformed. Their optical nerves would decay and they would start to have poor eyesight. They would eventually end up in total blindness and they were in great pain and they were in great suffering and the, and the smell of all the rot and the decay would drive people away. <coughs> well, as a defense against the spread of that, and according to God's law, these people were cast out. And really they're cast out of all of society. They're told to, to stay out of town and not only stay out of town, but, but keep this distance from the town and, and keep this distance from any people coming in and out of the town. If, if somebody approached them, they would have to warn them of their terrible fate and they would have to yell of themselves, unclean, unclean, to warn them of their state. Because of the disease, they would lose their jobs. They would lose their role and their place in society. Even their family members, those that would love them, could only come and see them at a distance. Over time, those visits would become less and less frequent and people would begin to move on with their lives and these guys lived in isolation. From the Old Testament time on, leprosy was a sign of the curse of God. When you saw such a person, you know God must have cursed them for them to be in this state. Really, it was a picture of sin. That is the obvious here. Here is the, here is the deeper picture. Listen to me. In sin, we are decaying. In sin, we are deformed from the image of the God who created us in his own image that we might bear his glory. In sin, we smell of the rot of rebellion. In sin, our eyesight fails and we eventually become blind and we're not able to see. In sin, we're in isolation. In sin, we're out of fellowship with the holy God. In sin, our record in the light of that pure God is we are stamped forever unclean, unclean. That is our condition in sin. Verse 13. <coughs> and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Here's something interesting. Unless you were misdiagnosed, unless you really didn't have leprosy, there was no cure for leprosy. Unless a miraculous healing occurred. There's several of those recorded in the Old Testament, several in the New Testament as well, but the truth of it is this, outside of God's miraculous work, 
This was your fate. There is never a recorded time in the biblical era that somebody was healed from leprosy outside of a miraculous movement of God. Unless God did something, unless God worked, you were hopeless in that state. That's the obvious. The obvious in verse 13, in despair, and you can imagine that despair in their despair in a panic of hopelessness. The Bible says first they raise up, they stand up, and I imagine these 10 guys, they're out there and their only consolation is the loneliness that they, they're able to share with each other. But as they see Jesus coming, perhaps they've heard of as many miracles and so they rise up, they raise up, they stand up, but now they raise up their voices and they say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Lord, we have no other answer. Jesus, we have no other remedy. Oh, Jesus, that you would have mercy on us. Oh, do you see our agony? We have no hope out here. Oh, we beg of you that you'd have mercy on us. <coughs> That's the obvious. Here's the deeper picture. In our sin, we are just as hopeless. In our sin, we are just as ruined. And we are decaying. And we are hurting. And we are out of fellowship. And we are unclean. In our sin, unless there's a miraculous work of God, we're just as lost. Our hope is only that Jesus would somehow in response help us. And so in our sin, in this state, our response is that we would cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I beg of you. I have no hope. There is no answer for me. Oh, I beg of you. Have mercy on me. Friends, we've forgotten. We've forgotten, we're so far away, we've forgotten. We've forgotten the ruination of our sin. We've forgotten the heartbreak of our sin. We're forgetting the disease and the decay of our sin. May we hear with spiritual ears. Outside of a miraculous work of God, we're lost and we're doomed, we've lost that. We're missing that. They knew their plight and they cried, oh master, that you'd have mercy on us. <clears throat> Verse 14. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. First, we start with the obvious. The Bible tells us Jesus sees them. They stand up, they are raised up, they raise up their voices, they begin to holler out, and Jesus sees them, and he says, go and show yourself to the priest. Now understand, it was the priest who would declare them clean, he would inspect them, and upon inspecting them, he would declare them clean. He actually had a prescribed formula to follow for that to happen. It's recorded in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, but he says, go and show yourself to the priest. Now notice it says here, as they were going, they were cleansed. Friend, here today with spiritual ears. Notice the word here, cleansed. And as they were going, their leprosy was healed. Doesn't say that. As they were going, their, their infirmities were gone and they were healed to the glory of God. It doesn't say that. It says, as they were going, 
They were cleansed. It literally translates to make clean or to declare clean. See this. They were declared, what this means is they were declared right. They were declared cleaned. They were declared to no longer be in their former state. And their life could now be restarted because they had been declared clean and they could now enter back into society and they could enter back into a restored fellowship. These men were cleansed. Second, notice when that happened. In verse 14, he says, do this. And then in verse 14 it says, as they were going, they were cleansed. As they were going, they were cleansed. Now see this this morning. When they heard, they had to believe. It's talking about faith. And because of their faith, they obeyed. Now if you remember last week, we talked about the fact that faith and obedience are wed together. It's faith and obedience. And it's obedience and faith. Well here, they, they believe. And in response to their faith, they began to go. And so they have a response to what Jesus has said in faith And when they respond in faith, the Bible says they are cleansed. That's the obvious. Here's the deeper picture. In your sin, you're dying in rot. In your sin, you're suffering in pain. You're cut off. You're unclean. In your sin, you're broken and you're alone and you're hopeless in that state. But when you respond in faith, see this today, when you respond in faith, you, sinner, are cleansed. And though your best deeds are but filthy rags, you, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, are washed. Though your best deeds are but filthy rags, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Listen to me today. When we respond not in works, when we respond not in deeds, there's nothing we can do. When we respond in faith, Jesus cleanses us and we are declared forever clean. Friends, we forget that. Friends, we're no longer impressed by that. God, give us spiritual ears today. Let us hear that. Not of anything we can do when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. By faith response, we are declared cleansed. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. By faith we are saved, not of works, lest any man should boast. Praise God, we're saved, we're declared clean by faith in Jesus Christ. Now if that's not enough, when the priest saw that they were cleansed, When the priest inspected them and saw that they were clean, he had to follow the law. When he saw that they were cleansed, he had to go back and he had to fulfill the Old Testament law. He had to complete the law that was assigned to this situation. Now what that means is this. Go back in Leviticus chapter 13. He would take two birds and he would take a scarlet thread. He would take a a scarlet yarn and he would take these two birds 
and he would kill one of the birds over an earthen pot. He would cut the throat of that bird and he would kill that bird and, and the blood of that bird would run into the pot and then into that earthen pot he would place the dead bird and he would be there in the pool of his own blood. And then he would take the other bird, the living bird, and he would take that yarn and he would dip them, he would plunge them in the blood of the dead bird. And then he would take that living bird that would be covered with the blood that wasn't his own and he would set it free. And then he would take that blood-stained yarn, that string, and he would pull it out of that pool of blood and he would take it and he would begin to sprinkle that blood across that man to mark him as cleansed. The first bird would show the death of the disease. It would show the pending death of that man was now satisfied and paid. The second bird, the bird that was covered in blood would fly away, would, would show the life and really the renewed life that had been secured through the blood of the dead bird. And that scarlet yarn would be taken and it would show this man is forever marked clean. Listen to verse 15. <clears throat> now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God. He knew who Jesus was with a loud voice. Verse 16. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. Now see this in these two verses. This man, this one leper, he's been healed, but more than that, he gets it. He sees what has happened. He sees that he is clean, and his heart now begins to rejoice, and he realizes who Jesus is. He realizes that Jesus is God. Only God could do such a thing. He realizes what God, through Jesus, had done. He came back because he knew the, price, the priest might declare him clean, but it was Jesus who had made him clean. He came back because the priest might declare him eligible for fellowship, but it was Jesus who had restored the fellowship. He came back because he knew the priest might send him back to his life, but he came back and he rejoiced because it was Jesus who gave him his life. And the Bible says he comes back and he falls on the ground and he's in praise and he's in awe of his Savior Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, I look at my hands. Oh, I look that I'm healed. I'm forever declared clean. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, let us hear today with spiritual ears. The end of verse 16 says, <coughs> and he was a Samaritan. I think that's there for a reason. What that means is this. He was a leper and a Samaritan. Now what that means of this man, he was double despicable. He was double repulsive. He was doubly doomed. And so maybe that's why he comes back and he understands I had no hope and that's why he comes back and he rejoices greatly. Verses 17 and 18. Then Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? <clears throat> Very telling verses, these two verses. 
I believe these other nine, they knew they were healed. They could see it. They knew their state. They knew they were no longer ill. They could see that they were healed. They, they knew they had received just as much as this other man. They knew what had happened to them. They knew they were set free again. But I believe they were ready to get back to their life. I believe they were ready to get back to their routine. And they were so excited about going back to their old life and going back to their old routine. And that the fact that they were healed, that they left and they ran off to the neglect of the one who had just given them that life. God let us hear this today with spiritual ears. I wonder what was next for those men. I thought about that. Wonder what was next for those guys. Maybe they went back and, and maybe they now began to run their business again and, and maybe they succeeded in their business. Big deal. Maybe they went back and they got their place back in society and they, they operated in society and they were once again well thought of again. They, they had their reputation back. Big deal. They had seen the greatest they were ever gonna see they met their Savior. They met they, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and they missed it because they were quick to go back and do something else, and they quickly ran away. Verse 19. <clears throat> and he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Hear that again. And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Listen to me, dear friend. Oh, that we would hear this today with spiritual ears. You see, Jesus finished the journey. He got back up and he got on that trail of dust. And he headed south there across down the Jordan River. And at some point he crossed the Jordan very close to where Joshua had crossed. As Joshua in faith leads him to the promised land, now Jesus the Messiah crosses over the Jordan River to secure forever the promised land. He crosses that Jordan where he was baptized. And where God said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, he crosses that Jordan River. He walks the path he goes, the Bible says, through Jericho. And he goes from Jericho and he makes his way into the city of Jerusalem. And this time when he enters into Jerusalem, not two turtle doves will be killed, will die. This time as he enters in, not one bird and another one set free. Not some perfect land from somebody's herd that will have a temporary covering. But this time as he enters into Jerusalem, he himself is stretched out. And he's nailed there to the cross. And it is his blood that runs out. And the law is forever and finally fulfilled in him. And God's wrath, his anger held towards sin is satisfied in his only son, Jesus. And there through the shedding of his own blood, the remission of sins is secured for us. And there on the cross of Calvary, nailed between two thieves, my Lord Jesus is crucified and there he dies so that I might live and there his blood runs out so that it might cover me and I might become his righteousness and he is risen from the dead and his debt has been, he has been paid for me and it's been paid for you and listen to the lamb as he says this 
Rise up. Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Listen to me today, sinner. Listen to me today, rebel. This is what he says to us as sinners as he finishes the work on the cross. Listen to me. I'm nailed here. I'll die. I'll suffer your punishment. But you, you rise up and you go because your faith has made you well. Folks, how could our response be any different? How could our response be any different than to run to the Savior, to run to Jesus and to drop down to our knees and say, Jesus, you're my Lord. Jesus, you're my hope. Jesus, you're my Savior. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. How could it be any different? Thank you, Jesus. God let us hear with spiritual ears. Let's pray.